Our reading this morning is entitled, Whose Are You? from Reverend Victoria Safford's sermon, Love's Conditions. Whose are you? Who carries you in their heart, thinks of you, whether you think of them or not? Whose are you? Who are your people, the ones who make a force field you can almost touch? Whose are you? Who is, in within, who is within your circle of concern? Whose are you? To whom are you responsible, accountable? Whose care is yours to provide? Whose are you? When you look in the mirror in the morning, whose bones do you see? Whose blood runs in your veins? Who are those people stretching back in time beyond memory? Where did you come from? Whose are you? When you walk out of your room, out of your house, into the sunlight of the day, to whom in this wide world do you belong? Where is your allegiance? By whom are you called? Whose are you? At the end of the day, through the longest night, in the valley of the shadow of death and despair, who holds your going out and coming in, your waking and your sleeping? Who, what, holds you in the hollow of its hand? Whose are you? On Friday afternoon, after I got home from the climate strike with several of our fabulous youth, led by our youth ministry coordinator, India Wood, and a few of you adults, too, I came ha at home after a long several hours of my feet and in the sun, and I said my, to myself, I'm just going to close my eyes for 20 minutes. An hour and a half later, I was woken up by a text that said, Dinner's ready, I made stir-fry. I both reluctantly and gratefully pulled myself out, up out of the luxury of an afternoon nap and up the stairs to the second floor where our shared kitchen and dining room are. Hi, Heather! The two-and-a-half-year-old cheerfully welcomes me into the dining room. That's Micah, who I have lived with since he was born and who I spend the day with every Monday. Rebecca has made a stir-fry, and Evan and Sarah made a tomato salad from our community garden plot. I cajole Micah into washing his hands before he eats, and Alec has just gotten home from work. And we all sit down, and Micah insists that we sing a grace song and then do cheers with his sippy cup of milk. And he makes us all do cheers again at least three times during the meal when it is clear that he's lost the attention of the adults. And this is more or less a typical night at my house. It wasn't planned ahead of time. After dinner, those of us who didn't cook clean up uh, an unspoken agreement that organically falls into place. And the two-year-old climbs on me and then on his dad. 
He's learned to ask for consent before jumping on adults, for which our backs are very grateful. And we share about our experiences at the climate strike, and I play Duplos on the floor with Micah while we all debate how effective individual consumer choices are in slowing climate change. And as the conversation winds down, the two-year-old is pulled on who he wants to have put him to bed tonight, and he picks Alec, his dad. This was not exactly the picture of family I grew up with. The picture of family that I grew up with looked much like the family I grew up in. Two parents, two kids, two dogs, two cats, sometimes two gerbils, sometimes two parakeets. Because we humans tend to universalize and normalize our own experiences, am I right? And family can sometimes be a hard concept for me to define. I struggle with it, with defining it, because sometimes it can feel like a question of who is in and who is out, who belongs and who doesn't. I came of age in Massachusetts in the early 2000s, when the debate around same-sex marriage here was fierce, and groups with names like Focus on the Family were often in the news, and family values was being used so often as a political battering ram, coded to mean anti-LGBTQ, anti-abortion, anti-divorce, and strict gender roles. And this concept of family, of what makes a family, what a family can look like, this can be very narrowly defined in the world around us. Even if we put politics or conservative religious traditions aside, in the media, in society at large, I still find myself wondering when I hear someone say the word family, is this a code for a heterosexual two-parent family raising children? Or when we say family, are we really believing that it is something more expansive than that? And what does it look like to embody the belief that family is and can be creatively, uniquely, beautifully expansive? A year and a half ago, I bought a house with my partner Ian and four of our friends. I live in a household of six adults, a two and a half year old, three cats, and as many housemates as my household will tolerate. I mean, sorry, as many houseplants of mine, as many of my houseplants as my household will tolerate. No more housemates, there's no more room. They think there's no more room for plants, but there are. And these people I live with now, Ian, Alec, Rebecca, Micah, Evan, and Matt, and me, we struggle to define ourselves. Are we a cooperative? No, we're not an organization, not like the cooperative house many of us used to live in. Are we roommates? No, our lives are so much more intertwined than that, and this is a much more long-term thing than that term implies. After all, we bought a house together and spent a year defining our legal and financial agreements. Are we co-owners? It's too clinical, too technical. Sometimes I say, my household. And sometimes when I'm feeling brave, I say, my family. Because it feels vulnerable in some ways to claim a group of people like this as family. Vulnerable to stake a claim that is on something that is outside of the norm. Something that not everyone will see the depth of. Our commitments, our knowledge of one another built over years and years. Are over conflicts and struggles and parties and game nights. Our rhythms and our pet peeves, our food shopping and shared child rearing, our inside jokes and our emerging rituals. This is my chosen family. Interestingly enough, 
Throughout most of human history and across most cultures, living in extended groups was the social norm. And we know from many historians, including author and historian Stephanie Kuntz, whose research focuses on the history of marriage and families, she says it wasn't until the 1950s that the idea of a traditional nuclear family of two parents, heterosexual of course, and a working father and stay-at-home mother raising children were codified as the traditional American family. The Leave it to Beaver era post-World War II economic and baby boom was actually only a brief moment in thousands of years of human history. And it was only available to those who could actually afford single family households. And even then, she says, it often relied on the underpaid labor of women of color and immigrants to run a household for middle class families. Kuntz says that as a society, we are nostalgic for the way things never were. Nuclear family has never been the only way that families were and are created. And some families now, of course, do look just like this. And if it feels hard to do raising kids and running a household with two people, that's because it is only in the last few decades that that has even been an expectation. Throughout history, we have not just said it takes a village to raise a child as an idealistic value. Throughout human history, this was the reality. According to the Pew Research Center, Parents today are raising their children against an increasingly diverse backdrop and, for many, constantly evolving family forms. In contrast, in 1960, the height of the post-World War II baby boom, there was one dominant family form. At that time, 73% of all children in the United States were living in a family with two married parents in their first marriage. In 1980, 61% of children were living in this type of family, two married parents in their first marriage, and today only 46% of children are. And families raising children under the age of 18 today comprise only 23% of American households. Families and households are far more diverse than we are led to believe. And the first, this is an interesting fact, the first official political use of the phrase family values wasn't until 1976 as part of the Republican Party platform. And it makes me wonder, what if we moved from family values to valuing all families? What would it look like to truly, truly value all families? To truly value families without kids, families with kids, two-parent families, single-parent families, divorced families, blended families, families who don't live together by circumstance or by choice, foster families, families built by adoption, intentionally solo parenting families, queer families, polyamorous families, multi-generational families, immigrant families, extended families, chosen families, families of color, poor families, young families, aging families, all families. What would it really, truly look like if we valued all families in our church community, in our wider community, in our media and our schools and our politics and our public policy and our laws? What would family values mean then? When I was in college, I had this quote taped to my dorm room wall from Douglas Steer, a Quaker teacher. 
He says, the ancient question, what am I, inevitably leads to a deeper question, whose am I? Because there is no identity outside of relationships. You can't be a person by yourself. To ask whose am I is to extend the questions far beyond the little self-absorbed self and wonder, who needs you? Who loves you? To whom are you accountable? To whom do you answer? Whose life is altered by your choices? With whose life, whose lives is your own all bound up inextricably in obvious or invisible ways? These days, I tend to think of family as my answer to the question, whose am I? A question that can be asked and answered in so many different ways, on so many different levels of intimacy, connection, context, and closeness. Whose am I? Whose life, whose lives, is my own all bound up with, inextricably, in obvious or invisible ways? Whose are you? I would invite you now to close your eyes and let the faces of those people you might claim as family come into your mind's eye as you consider, who do you love? Who loves you? Who do you trust to show your shiny and your not so shiny parts to? Whose calls will you take in the middle of the night? Who will you fight for? Who wants what's best for you? Who loves and forgives you even when you mess up and isn't afraid to tell you when you do? Who do you share meals with? Who do you share germs with? Who listens to you tell the same story over and over with love? Who can you spend comfortable time in silence with? Whose lives have influenced and shaped yours? Who brings out the best in you and also sometimes the worst? Whose are you? Who is your family? Sometimes I think it's the people who have been randomly assigned to us by birth or adoption. Sometimes it's the people we've chosen. And most often my guess is it is a beautiful and often messy combination of both. Friends, it feels so important for me to talk about family in the context of church, even though I will admit I struggle with how to talk about this idea of family. How to talk about it in ways that don't perpetuate that idea of who is in and who is out dynamic that can come with the ways family has been used. And it feels important not only because so many of you, for so many of you, church is an important part of your family's lives. It's one of the things that your families do together that binds you together, and I know it is. But also because religion has been a place that has used family values to hurt and to exclude. And as people of faith and as a religious community, we have an opportunity to lead from our own particular place, to do here what we cannot do in secular spheres, which is to reclaim 
and to proclaim that no, family values are indeed a part of our religious values in that we value all families. All shapes and sizes and configurations and beautiful expressions of holy love that are manifested in all families. We can refuse to cede the language of values to those who would hurt, use them to hurt and to exclude. And to us, family values means valuing all families. So however you build family, know this. It is hard and beautiful and messy and sacred work. The day in, day out, tending to relationships, to the physical and emotional and spiritual needs of other people, to the commitments and to the complexities that loving people requires of us. And however you choose to do it, wherever your path has led you, whatever companions you have found along the way, the work of love, of commitment, of building family is seen and valued and honored here. Dear ones, thank you for being my church family. Blessed be and amen.